Hi everyone and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I'll be talking to companies based in Europe to understand the unique challenges and strategies to be successful in this region. I am absolutely thrilled to have today with me here Olivier Mayer, who's the VP of Sales for France and Europe for a company called One to Team. Olivier is a seasoned veteran when it comes to establishing businesses in Europe. He has spent the last 15 years in the tech industry where he helped both US companies and European companies open offices and expand their business systematically in Southern Europe and grow sales from zero to double digit growth each time. When we met, we used to work at Hearsay Systems, which was a fintech company based in the Valley, and he headed sales for Southern Europe where I saw firsthand the way Olivier managed to not only grow sales in the region, but also position the company as a leader in the market space. Olivier was actually, on a personal note, my go-to person for vacation destinations. Um, I have been to several places that he has gone to and recommended, including Tanzania, Costa Rica, Sri Lanka, and I thoroughly enjoyed his recommendations. So if we have time at the end, I'm definitely going to ask him to offer up some of his top destinations to visit and why. But welcome, Olivier, to the show. Hello, Anita. Thanks very much for this introduction. And uh, beyond talking about sales and, and, and development in Europe, happy to also share some, some tips about some countries to travel. <laughs> at the end Ex- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So actually, Olivier, I realized as I was... Um, Um, thinking about our show today that I don't actually know how you got into sales because I know that you have an engineering background and I was curious to understand how you fell into sales. Could you give us a little color there? Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's interesting because I did some engineering schools. I I never became an engineer and it's not so frequent to have engineers becoming a salesperson. Um, Actually, the link is that after graduating, I spent approximately 10 years uh, in consulting firms, which is, which is quite uh, more classic. When I uh, grew in this consulting industry and I became more senior and I was given more responsibilities, I started also selling. I started selling consulting jobs, consulting missions, uh, and, and I liked it a lot. I liked it more and more. And the more I was selling, the more I was realizing that actually I didn't want to deliver. I didn't want to produce consulting work. I wanted to only spend my time selling. So I, I switched from consulting to the tech industry where the roles are very separated, very clear. You have the people who sell, the people who deliver. There are two distinct populations. And that's exactly what I was looking for. And I've been uh, doing that for the last 15 years. And I definitely enjoy it every day. Well, it sounds like consulting was definitely a good foundation in terms of teaching how to do sales, where you position yourself more as an advisor and do consultative selling rather than more of the transactional sales. So I definitely want to get into the meat of the discussion today, which is really to understand how to think about Europe, especially if you're coming as a, as a company from another geography into Europe, how to really break it down and, and expand here. When you think back at your experience in these two different types of companies, what stands out for you that you can share with us that really typify how these different types of companies do business in Europe? Yeah, obviously there are a lot of similarities between US 
people and, and European people. We have the same kind of culture. Uh, our culture in Europe comes a lot from the US culture, is inspired by the US culture a lot. Um, uh, we have the same roots. A lot of European people went to, to the US uh, dozens of years ago. And of course, it's totally different when you go to Asia and when you have to deal with, with Asian people and Asian, Asian culture. Still, and especially selling and buy uh, software, there are some, some differences. I think that what is very interesting and very uh, exciting with U.S. organization is the fact that they are result-oriented. They are action-driven. They, they created this culture of test and learn, of quick win, of let's try to, to move forward. And when we have moved forward a bit, then we can decide how to move forward again. Versus a European culture, which is rather, hey, let's think about the problem and let's try to see the problem under all the possible angles and then we'll decide how to move forward. So it's a very different cultural approach. I'm, I don't know if one is better than the other one, uh, but depending on how you are structured mentally, you may fit into one rather than another one. In, in the tech industry, uh, uh, what's interesting with the US culture is that it created constantly new products, con constantly created new ideas, new innovations because of this culture of let's go, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's try something else compared to what works today. Let's, let's try something different. And, and mm. that's what is really good with the U.S. company, U.S. culture and U.S. organization. So if you dig a little deeper into that, if you're talking to a U.S. company, you know, knowing these cultures are so different and you think about it differently. When it comes to the sales function specifically, do you think it's better to actually have a European person selling to European co uh, companies because they understand this and they know when to push or when not to push? Or do you think it works also to have you know, people more with that American mentality? Can they actually successfully sell into European companies? Mm -hmm. yeah. What is your thought? Well, I, I think, I mean, what I've seen everywhere uh, in all organizations is that it doesn't really work to have European people sell to American and vice versa, to have American people sell to Europe. Uh, and I think uh, what this difference of culture reflects is that when you are uh, selling in the enterprise world, there is a, a notion of trust between the buyer and the seller that at the end of the day creates, is part of the relationship and is part of the deal. Mm. When you are putting a lot of money on the table to buy a software, you can never be sure that this is really going to work. You can never be sure that this is really going to address the needs that you have. And you can never be sure that everything is going to happen the way it is written on the slides. So there is a part of trust. Of course, uh, you are doing an evaluation process to reduce the risk, but you need some trust. Uh, and trust is built through relationships. Trust is, trust is built through uh, I'm not talking about personal relationship. I'm talking, of course, about business relationship. Uh, and, and part of the business relationship is the ability to understand the culture uh, of, the, of the other people and to be able to understand the way they think. I think it's easier for an American to, to, to understand what another American person has in mind, and it's easier for a European guy to, have in, to understand what a, another European guy has in mind. I would even say that con considering that Europe is made of a set of countries, that it's, it's easier for a French guy to understand what another French guy has in mind, and it's easier for a German guy to understand what another German guy has in mind, which is part of the European complexity mm -hmm. when you are coming to Europe. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think the universal truth remains that selling is at the end of the day, a relationship business. And so you have to be good at making relationship. And obviously if you're able to connect at a personal level, at a cultural level, that is a, a strong connection that you, you make. Um, okay, great. So let's talk a little bit about the market. So let's assume I'm a company that's looking to expand into Europe Europe, like you said, is so complex. It's made up of so many different countries. How have you advised companies that are moving here? How should they think about the market? And more importantly, what's the criteria for determining how to prioritize these markets? Yeah, I think it's a very good question and a very fundamental question because uh, once you have understood, and you asked me before about some small anecdotes, uh, I still talked to some U.S. people a few years ago who didn't really know if Europe was one country or if Europe was a, a mix of 25 countries. So that was quite uh, something interesting discussing about that. Um, but once you have realized that indeed you are dealing not with a single block, you are dealing with 25 different countries, each have their own language, each have their own business law, of course share a lot of things in common, but manage their business and their operations locally, the first question you need to have is, I'm not going to open an office in 25 countries. So what do I do? How shall I start? How shall I grow in Europe? I think there are different strategies. I think one strategy is rather one I would say land and expand. So I land in London because I have the same language when I'm a US guy with UK people. The way of doing business are very similar. So I land in London and from London, I have a flying team who tests how it runs in the different uh, European countries. And from that, I decide what is going to be my next step of investment. I'm going to decide where I'm going to have other people uh, on site in other European countries based on the results I get from the first phase. That's, that's one strategy. I've seen another strategy, which is, I'm basically opening an office or at least having people on site in the three main countries, European countries, the three big fish, European big fish, which are basically France, UK, and, and Germany. So I have one, one guy in France, one guy in Germany, and one guy in UK. Um, and maybe there is a third strategy, which is, I mean, from there, uh, different options, which is either I focus on the big fish and I stay on the big fish, and I don't want to disperse myself into smaller countries or from each of these three three pillars i again have some kind of flying teams from paris i cover southern europe from germany i cover the dark region plus uh, central and eastern europe from uk i'm able to cover the nordics and maybe a bit of netherlands so there are different strategies and i think that it's fundamental to ask where how you want to start uh, and of course, it's linked, I would say, the result of this question to first, the money you, you are able to bring on the table. The more countries you are opening up front, of course, the more money it costs you, number one. Second, I think it also relates to the different markets. Uh, again, the, the, the business law are not the same. Uh, the, the business organization are not the same necessarily for all European countries. And depending on what you are selling, uh, you may find different countries who can fit or not fit your business. For instance, if your product is very much based on regulation, is very linked to any kind of regulation, there may be some markets 
where regulation will go against your software, or there may be some markets where regulation will be uh, in favor of your software. That's a typical example where if you don't uh, have that in mind when deciding which countries you go first, you may take the wrong decision. Yep. So you're basically saying the criteria for determining one of your three strategies really depends on your product and how it fits with at least these regions, how dependent it is on something like the laws or culture of that region. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Exactly. That, that is fundamental. Maybe I can take one example. If you are selling to uh, in the healthcare industry and you are selling to uh, doctors, the way the health system is organized in UK is fundamentally different from the way it is organized in France. It's fundamentally different from the way it is organized in the US. If you have built a software for equipping doctors uh, based on the way the US system is organized, and now you go to Europe, you need to ensure that what you've built for the US can fit the way the health system is organized in Europe. And the health system is not organized in a single way across Europe. It's organized in different ways for each country. Having that in mind is something fundamental to decide in which countries you should go first. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Olivier, would you give this advice differently if it was a European company expanding to other parts of Europe versus a US company coming into Europe? Or do these three strategies and the way you look at the market, are they the same? No, I think, I mean, I've seen that the, the question is, is the same, uh, whether you're US coming to Europe or Europe coming to expanding internationally. I would say that maybe for European company, it's even more, there is a level of complexity, uh, an additional level of complexity, which is, hey, should I expand in Europe and then to the US? Or should I expand first to the US? I've seen some very successful European companies who took uh, uh, a decision which was quite uh, surprising uh, the first time it was, it was taken, but happened to be the right one, which was to say, I'm, I'm going to first expand in the US. So I'm going to go straight maybe to the UK as a landing <laughs> platform before jumping to the US, rather than trying to expand in Germany and Spain and Italy, and then when I'm strong in Europe, I will. I think I can go to the. Uh, I can go to the US. A, yeah. a lot of European companies indeed expand in Europe and then go to the US. More and more, they ensure that they have a good European presence. I would say, but directly go and target the US market because they find a highly competitive market, obviously, but a market that is. Uh, one country, one legislation, yeah. one language, and which is just just huge. But the question remains the same for if you are born, if you if you created your company in Germany or in Spain or in Italy, okay, where shall I go after my native country? Uh, and again, you have the same question or whether you want to go to the big fish. Uh, you have the same question whether you, you want to have some people locally or if you want to have a flying team from your headquarters and have them uh, take planes to the different countries. Hmm, interesting. 
So I think that that uh, segues nicely into another question that I think a lot of companies have. So now let's say they've decided, whether it's a U.S. company moving to Europe or Europe moving to other parts of Europe, they've decided their strategy in terms of which regions they're going to tackle. And now it's a question of what are the first few steps to execute? And typically hiring is top of mind. What have you seen work in terms of what are the first few people to hire? Specifically, when it comes to sales and marketing, do you put the marketing and do some um, awareness building before you put a salesperson on the ground? Or like you said, is it more virtual, the initial sales till you have customers and then you put salespeople? What is some scenarios that match to the right hiring approach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. And that's also a very critical decision for any company expanding internationally. Any company I worked for, that, that was a decision that, is, um, that was a hard one to take because, because it's, a, it's a mix of different elements. The, the first one is, again, the money. Why? Because uh, uh, when, you, when you are hiring people who are not in your native country, you want to hire people that you can trust that have sufficient experience so that they are able to, to, to develop the business by themselves. You want to usually hire people who have already done it. And, and these people with experience, with uh, uh, success, of course, they, cost, uh, they have a higher cost than if you, if you take junior people who are able to learn with you. Uh, usually when you expand, you can't afford to train the people. <laughs> you, you need to have people who are fully active day one. So that costs more, more money. Number two is, is where do you locate these people? And that comes with having some people who are autonomous, able to work on their own, and that you can trust in basically, even if they are on their own and, and, and in, in, in some cases are working from home uh, and you, you can't offer them or you don't want to offer them a physical office, are these people able to work in the correct way? Um, it's not so easy. I mean, it's a very different thing to work in an office and come every day to, to, an, to your office and have 40 people in the same office. And suddenly from day one, being um, the only guy on the field for uh, your, your, your company, working from home uh, and losing the, the, the social link that you get from, from working uh, with, uh, with a phys- within a physical office. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that is hard. I mean, not everybody yeah. wants to do it. Not everybody is able to do it. When you recruit people, uh, you need to find these people. Who, uh, you need to find such people. Or you may say, okay, it's too hard for me to find these people. So I decide to, again, go for the strategy where I will locate my sales uh, organization from my European corporate office, for instance, or from one office. And I would prefer to have a diversity of different nationalities and different languages, which brings to the third element, which is uh, the language and the nationality. Uh, as we said, uh, initially, there are some cultural differences. Uh, and, uh, and in the same way that the European guy is more at ease with another European guy, uh, I think it's, it's very clear that it's hard to go in the country if you don't have somebody who is native from this country or minimum who speaks the language of this country. Otherwise, it's hard to have a sustainable business. And again, that means that you are going to bring in different people and these people will be harder to, to find. 
So um, it's a mix of money, timing, and ability to find the right guys that makes your, your decision uh, in the team that you are building. I mean, that's obviously a really tough one because a lot of companies can't hire 25 people for Europe with all the different languages. Yeah, I mean, so, so of course, by, by, by talking about the language, we close the loop or at least we come back also to the original question, which is where do I start? Mm-hmm. The, more, the more countries you start up from, the more languages at least you should, you, 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 are, you are maybe willing to, to onboard to be able to address these local languages. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a balance when you want to onboard a new language. It's a balance between what is the revenue that I can expect from this country compared to what is the cost uh, for me to be able to address the specificities of these countries, language being one, being the most important one. Uh, and that's why it, it can seem to be more attractive to start with a big fish because you say, okay, if I start in Germany, obviously I have a super big country, so it's worth hiring a German guy. Because in terms of ROI, it's going to be easier to justify the hiring of a German guy because I have the German market. It's not so easy because the German market obviously is, is a tough one and a very highly competitive one. So I, I think at the end of the day, if you want to expand to a European country, you need a local language, a, a local speaking person. And I would say even more, if you want to expand in a sustainable way, you need not just the salesperson, but you also need the service person and the, and the technical support person to, to be able to, to work in this, in this language at some point or another. Uh, but of course, not all the European countries have the same potential in terms of, of business. So that's where the balance comes uh, in terms of arbitration and decision you are taking. Yeah, I was going to ask exactly that question. When it comes to the team that you put, it's not just the salesperson who's getting the deals in that country, but you have to think about the service person, the technical support person, and even probably the marketing person. Do they all have to be there? And so should the strategy be, we have a pod, a team of people that have sales, service, and marketing. If we decide to do a country, we have to have all of those three people or we don't do that country is probably something that companies have to think about. Um, would, you, would you agree with that? And how would you look at that? Yeah, yeah I would definitely agree with that. And I think um, the, the, the experience we have in common is a very good one where it was not just about the sales, the salesperson, but it was also about the customer success people and being able to work in the local language. It's even more true when it's about servicing because typically in the sales cycle, I would say you can be usually in touch with uh, people who have more experience in the organization, who have more responsibilities. So typically this person usually, they speak English in a way or another because they typically, if you are in the enterprise market, they are also working on international markets. So they need to have some English capabilities and they need to be able to conduct uh, some business in in English. But when it's about servicing, you are typically dealing on a day-to-day basis with people who have less responsibilities, who are working on their national territory and who are much less used to working, speaking and dealing with another language than their native language. And that's where sustainability in your business comes, comes, uh, is, is important because if you are not able to service these people correctly, you may acquire them from a sales perspective, but you may churn them quite fast 
because you're not able to surface them correctly. That's also part of the equation when you are dealing with expansion in your business. Is there a certain time frame that companies should give when they're looking to make different regions in Europe successful? Like how long would you say it typically takes to start having that sustainable um, sales in a region? Uh, well, I think it, 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 it does take time. <laughs> it's not something that is, uh, you just have somebody on the ground, boom, instantly. Uh, and even if it gets results, and even if, of course, in the tech industry, time is money, <laughs> more than in, in a lot of other industries, it's super, super hard to have a shorter time frame than six months before seeing some, I would say, decent results. And a year before uh, being able to, to consider that you, are, you can be successful in a country. Great. So, Olivier, what advice would you give to companies looking to expand to Europe? If, if there are companies that are listening to this podcast, Europe is on their map, what advice would you give them? So one point we, we, we didn't really address, but I think, it, and, and I'm thinking about that uh, for, with your last question, is also the partner, uh, the partner strategy. Mm. One way to develop in Europe is not necessarily to hire people, but maybe to hire partners and have some resellers who are going to uh, basically sell your product and to some extent, if it works to your business model, uh, are going to maybe save you time and investment because they are, maybe, they are going to take part of the risk with, with you. So back to your question, I think, I mean, the one advice I would really give is to take the time to conduct an analysis of the market of the different European markets, if it's a US company or if it's a European company, to understand the US market, but at least to understand the market that people were to want to land and take the time to understand the specificities of this market compared to the products you are working. Take the time to understand the competition that can exist uh, in the countries where you want to expand and that you don't necessarily know because this competition is local but uh, that you are not necessarily aware of, but that may impact actually dramatically the success. So I think it's, it's good to say it worked in one geography, so let's go to other geographies. I think as we discussed in our conversation, there are several key questions to ask yourself when you, you land into another geography. And the answer to this question is very different from one business to another one. And I think shall be organized in a very different way, depending on your business model, on your operating model, and the ability you have to address these different new, uh, new markets. Uh, it's not just a copy-paste. It's not a, a brand new uh, uh, universe uh, that would have totally different rules. It's a mix of things that uh, remain the same and things that are very different. And I think the answer is linked to, and I've seen yeah, to the knowledge of the markets. And I've seen, I've seen some, some errors, I would say, or things that could have been done differently, let's say, if uh, uh, there had been a better knowledge of the market and a better understanding of the structure of the market where people wanted to land. I think, I think that's really helpful. You touched on something around competition that I do want to touch on in the last few minutes that we have, Olivier. And that's if there's a company that's entering and 
they have a good product. And if there's local competition where somebody is offering something, just at least in Southern Europe and France, where, where you have uh, the most experience, how do those companies view the local competition versus uh, a foreign vendor? Is it, again, just like, you know, evaluated based on on product and pricing, or do businesses look at the local competition uh, differently? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, yeah, it's also a very important question, and I think the, the answer is different whether you are bringing something new to the market or whether you are you have a good product. Maybe you have a very good product. Maybe you have the best product, but you are not bringing something fundamentally new. Okay, you're just bringing something better. Uh, so when you are bringing innovation, when you are bringing something that you basically framed the concept, uh, I think the importance of the local competition is much less important because, because people are, are, are willing to capture the innovation that you are, you are bringing and they are willing to apply this innovation to their business. When you are bringing something that is maybe better and maybe the best compared to the local competition, then the importance of being local becomes more uh, fundamental. Why? Because the success, when you are buying a software, you know that the success is not just going to come from the product. It's also going to come from the service that you will receive. It's also going to come from the ability that the vendor has to take into account your needs to evolve, to, have, to make evolution in the product that fits your requirements. And, uh, and so, of course, when you are a German uh, company, you are more inclined to think that the German vendor is going to take into account your needs versus a U.S. vendor that is 10,000 kilometers away uh, and that uh, may not fly to visit you much so often compared to your local vendor. So the, the local thing doesn't apply because it's local. It comes because being local uh, enables you to deliver things in your business relationship that are harder to deliver when you are 10,000 kilometers away and come back to culture, come back to trust, come back to uh, uh, the ability to understand the way business is done in a specific geography. That's fantastic. Uh, we unfortunately are out of time, Olivier. So thank you so very much for sharing your thoughts and your experiences. I hope um, everyone found this useful. And thanks again, Olivier. I will put the links to the contact information if someone had other questions in the podcast notes. Thanks very much, Anita. Thank you very much for the call.